For those of you that are visiting with us, we are uh, walking through a, a series where we're going through the, the book of John together, the gospel of John together. John was one, one of Jesus' closest friends. He wrote this gospel about 50 years after Jesus' earthly ministry here on planet Earth. Okay, so, so, so Jesus dies on a cross, he walks out of a tomb, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and about 50 years after that, he writes this gospel. He wrote it somewhere between 80 and 90 AD, okay? And uh, it was the last gospel to be written. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all wrote their gospels before John's, and it kind of makes some sense that probably John had read Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. He, he, he saw what those guys had written, and then obviously the Holy Spirit now leads John to write his gospel. And so if you're visiting with us, we're kind of walking through it uh, story by story, vignette by vignette of the life of of, of Jesus. So with this said, okay, we're at John chapter 14. Look at verse 15, okay? Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments, okay? And today, one of the great things about living today as opposed to when he wrote this is we actually have the commandments of God. We, we have all the things that God has commanded us, right, right here, the scriptures, we have them right here. He says, if you love me, then just, just, just do what I say. Just, just, I, I left you this, this incredible love letter, and I want you to live it out. He goes on and says, and I will ask the Father. There's going to come a moment. I'm, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Some of your Bibles use the word counselor. Some of your Bibles will say comforter or helper who will never leave you, who will, who will never leave you. There's going to come a moment. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send to you this, this comforter, this, this advocate, this helper, who will never leave you. Never. You see, guys, I leave you every now and then. I, I go eat breakfast, or I go eat lunch, or I go spend the night somewhere, or I, I, I get away to a, a, a lonely place up in the mountains to pray, and there are times I leave you. But there's coming a moment where I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to give you the comforter, the advocate, who will never leave you. Verse 17 tells us who the advocate is, who the comforter is, who that person is who will never leave us. He is the Holy Spirit who, will lead, who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. Well, how do you know him? How, how do the guys know him? Because he lives with you now. You know him, guys. He's with you right now. And later, he just won't be with you. He'll be in you. Wow. He's with you now. Speaking of himself, but there's going to come a moment where he just won't be with you. He'll actually be in you. Wow. That's just really weighty. Verse 18. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. 
hey guys, you're going to see me hanging on a cross. I'm going to walk out of a tomb. I'm going to be ascended to the right hand of the Father, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Are you kidding me? No, I will come to you. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not only, I'm not only going to be with you, I'm going to be in you. Okay. And I'll never leave you and we'll stop right there. So let me do a quick review of what we looked at last uh, weekend here at Big Valley, okay? There were three things that I zeroed in on, uh, three things that I really wanted you to understand. The first one was this, is that the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you see the Trinity throughout the scriptures. You don't ever read the word Trinity in the Bible. You don't find that word in the Bible. But what you do find in the Bible is the concept of the, the Trinity. Then, then the second thing we looked at was that the Holy Spirit was proof that Jesus made it to the Father in heaven. Here we have Jesus. He's promising the guys, hey, listen, when I get to glory, when I get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send to you the advocate. He's going to send to you the comforter, the helper. Whatever, it, whatever your version of the Bible says. And the proof that he made it there was that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit showed up in the guy's lives. And we read about that last week in Acts chapter two. And then number three, and this was the main point that I was getting at last week. And that is that the Holy Spirit lives within and dwells all true believers permanently. In other words, at the very moment you gave your life to Christ, if indeed that was a genuine moment, if you really humbled yourself and, and, and you surrendered your life over to Jesus and, and you said, Jesus, you know, no longer does my will matter, but it's your will that matters. And, and, and I understand what sin had, had done to me. And I understand who you were and what your death and resurrection accomplished. I surrender my life over to you. If that was indeed a genuine moment, boom, immediately the Holy Spirit, God sent the Holy Spirit into your life and he indwells you now permanently. Everybody look at John 14 again. Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you, never leave you. That means it's permanent He'll never leave you, okay? Uh, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter six, do you not know? And some people don't know this. But Paul's saying, don't you know? I wanna make sure you understand something here, that your body is the temple, the house of the Holy Spirit who is in you. He's, he's now in you, whom you have received from God. You're not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And the reason why we honor God with our body is because this is where the Holy Spirit lives. He lives inside of you, believer. You're, you're indwelt with the, the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. I just want you to ponder that for a moment. You know, there are some things that you, you can read in Scripture and maybe they don't make a whole lot of sense or, you know, what's the point of that? But, man, there are other moments where you see a passage like this and you got to stop. And you got to think about the implications of the fact that you, you, you're where the Holy Spirit lives. The Holy Spirit right now indwells you right now. And that's just a really 
really weighty thought that I think too many believers just don't even think about. I don't think about it all that often when I should. Now, in the Old Testament, things were way different. I want you to understand this. In Judges chapter 16, we read the tragic story of Samson and Delilah, right? God had given Samson incredible strength. He was empowered by God to do some really crazy things. In fact, you know, we, we know that an angel showed up and told Elizabeth, hey, you're going to have a baby. And that was John the Baptist, right? And we know an angel showed up and told Mary, you're going to have a child. And that was the Messiah, Jesus. But do you know that an angel actually showed up to Samson's mother and told Samson's mother, you're going to have a child. And this child's going to be special too. That, that's how unique Samson was. Well, he meets up with this woman named Delilah. And she uh, talks him into sharing with her the source of his strength. And it says this in verse 16 of Judges 16. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. That's Delilah. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. And I would become as weak as anybody else. Delilah realized that he had finally told her the truth, so she said for the Philistine rulers, come back one more time, she said, for he, Samson, has finally told me about his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with her head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. And she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he thought, hey, I'll do as before. And I'll just shake myself free. And here you have one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. But Samson didn't realize that the Lord had left him. Wow. Because of his lifestyle, because of the choices that he was making, the Lord had left him which means he no longer had the power of God in his life. And he didn't know it. You see, in the Old Testament, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was not permanent. The Spirit of God would come and leave a person. Israel's greatest king was King David. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart, okay? And uh, the, there came a moment, though, when he really blows it. He, he, he sinned in a really crummy way. And he pins this prayer, if you will, in Psalms chapter 51. He says this to God. God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see, he understood the concept that his crummy choices, his sinful choices would cause the Lord to leave. And I'll tell you a great story. We, we, we used to sing that song a lot in youth ministry. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And renew a right spirit within me. We used to sing that a lot. 
And then there came a moment one day when I was in the back, and this is when we used overheads. <laughs> Some of you young people are going, what, what's an overhead? <laughs> and I remember I was in the back of the room, the youth room, and we were singing the song, and I was going, you know what? That's truth. That's biblical truth. But it's biblical truth in an Old Testament uh, context. And I, I, I began to think, am I inadvertently teaching the kids something that's not true. And so every time we'd sing that song, I'd have to get up and go, hey kids, listen, I hate to interrupt the singing, but I want you to know that song was true in an Old Testament sense, but you don't ever have to worry about the fact that the, the Spirit of God would leave you. you. You never have to worry about that now because now it's, it's permanent. And so every time we sang that song, and it used to be a super popular song, I'd have to you know, take five minutes to explain it. And then I finally said, you know what, we're not singing it anymore. <laughs> She's not going to do it. It's truth. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go. But it ain't true today. When Jesus, the Son of God, made it to glory, he sent the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. He'll never leave you. He'll never uh, forsake you. It's It's a permanent thing. Now, let me quickly answer this question. What does the Holy Spirit do for the Christian? What's the, what's the point of it? Well, th- there's a lot of things, but let me give you a small taste, okay? The Holy Spirit seals you for the day of redemption. He produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and we're going to talk more about that next week, Lord willing. He's the, the power source for the Christian life. He, he gives you the spiritual gifts that you have. He helps you understand the Scriptures. He's the one that teaches you. In fact, when the Scriptures were written, Jesus says to his guys, John being one of them, the Holy Spirit will bring back to your memory all that I have taught you. Now that's important. Why? Because John, as I said, doesn't write his gospel for 50 years after Jesus dies. So it was 50 years had gone by. How did John remember all of these stories? How did John remember with such great detail these miracles? How did John remember the, 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 the preaching that he documents in here? Well, Jesus told, told him, hey, look, there's going to come a moment when the Holy Spirit will recall to your memory all that's taken place. It was the Holy Spirit who did that. And today, in a New Testament sense, he's our teacher too, but... We have this now, okay? Uh, The Holy Spirit sets you free from the law of sin and death. That's found in Romans 8. He's the one who guides you. He comforts you. He helps you. He protects you. He prays for you. Beloved, everything you need in the Christian life comes through the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. But let me quickly zero in on, on, on three of them, okay? And the first one is this, is that the Holy Spirit is my counselor, he's my comforter and helper. I, I, I chose the words, the, the, the English words, if you will, that are found in most of our Bibles. And I think that those words all give us a, a little taste of what the Holy Spirit does. He's, he's my counselor. Well, how, how does the Holy Spirit counsel me? Wow, he helps me right here with this. Unbelievable, the wisdom that's found in this book. This book right here has a lot of wisdom as it relates to marriage. Now, it's not a book about marriage, but there's a lot of wisdom in this book about marriage. 
There's a lot of wisdom and counsel in this book about how you ought to handle your finances. Now, it's not a financial book, but there's a lot of wisdom in here that will help you, a lot of counsel in here that will help you with your finances. You see, this is a book that's full of great wisdom. And how the Holy Spirit is our counselor is, man, when we read it and apply it, wow, there, there is great counsel here. The Holy Spirit is my comforter. The fact that the Holy Spirit is with you 24-7, that's comforting. You're never alone. You may feel alone, but as I often tell you, your feelings have no IQ. You can't educate your feelings. They're pretty much irrational Jesus didn't, said, didn't say your feelings will set you free. He said the truth will set you free. It's, it's the truth that sets you free. And so you may feel alone. I get that. I felt alone many, many times. In fact, a week doesn't go by and I don't feel alone at times. But the reality is I'm not alone. I don't care what you're going through. Doesn't matter what you're going through. You always have the Lord with you. And the Holy Spirit is my helper. If you have a New American Standard version of the Bible, he's our helper. He's the one that, that helps us through this thing called life. Those names all kind of give us a, a thought as to what the Holy Spirit is in our lives. The Greek word for all of those words, by the way, is paraclete, which means one called alongside to help. It has the idea or the thought of someone who encourages, supports, exhorts, uh, or whatever. See, see, the Holy Spirit is our paraclete. He is the one who God said, I'm gonna send him to you. He'll never leave you. He'll be with you forever. And he is the one who's there to counsel and comfort, to help us, to comfort us, whatever all those things might be to encourage us. The second thing I'll focus on real quick is that the Holy Spirit empowers me. And in Acts chapter one, we see a great illustration of this. Jesus said, but you will receive power. When? When are we going to receive power? You'll receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, what's the point of that power? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you now have the greatest power source known to mankind living within you. And now he gives us that power for a reason. And one of those reasons is, is that we would reach lost people. He tells the guys, hey, listen, guys, they were in Jerusalem when this was said. Guys, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to have the power that you need to go out and tell people about me in Jerusalem. You're going to have the power you need to go into all of Judea and talk about me. Hey guys, this is gonna be rough, but I'm even gonna send you into Samaria. <laughs> man, they didn't get along, man, the Jews and the Samaritans. But you're gonna go there because I want everybody to know about me. And then guys, let me just tell you this. Let me just blow your brains out right now. You're gonna have the power to literally go everywhere in the world and tell people about me. Wow, wow. And guess what? We're all sitting in this church here in this pinhole on a map called Modesto, California because God sent the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, filled these guys with his power and here you are today. He fulfilled the promise. 
And now he's said, it's your turn. He's, he's handed the baton off to you. Obviously, the disciples are all in glory right now. But you have the Holy Spirit in you. And so here today, you know what? We're just, Jesus, you know, you, you, you told us and asked. You'd give us the power to reach people. And, you know, we're going to start with prayer. We'll start there. Always a good place to start. And then, you know what? God, give us an opportunity to invite somebody here. And maybe, maybe before you even get them here, you, you'll be the very one who will share your story with them of salvation, of redemption. And maybe before they ever get here, you know, on an Easter weekend, you'll be led by the Lord. You'll, be, you'll, you'll take that power and use it to, to share your faith with somebody. And then number three, the Holy Spirit makes me a part of God's family. In Romans chapter eight, it says this, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, if anyone doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in them, okay, now follow this, he does not belong to Christ. He's not a Christian. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not a part of God's family. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not a part of Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're, you're, you're not a part of the ch- church. You're not a, a part of the called out ones. You're not, the, you're not a part of the bride. That, that, that's pretty clear, isn't it? You can't be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit indwell in you. It's crystal clear there. I didn't write that. That's what the Word of God says. Now, what's super interesting to me is that there are churches out there that will tell you that receiving Christ is one thing. Inviting the Lord to be in your life is one thing. But having the Holy Spirit come into your life, that's a whole nother moment. Well, if that is indeed true, and a lot of, teach, a lot of churches teach that, then when you gave your life to Christ, according to this passage, you don't belong to Christ because the only way you belong to Christ, the only way you're a part of the church is you have to have the Holy Spirit in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then you don't belong to Christ. You don't belong to the church. You're not a part of the called out ones. They can't be two separate moments. When you give your life to Christ, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you become a part of God's family. You become a part of God's family at that moment. The Holy Spirit is the agent by which the blood of Christ is disseminated throughout your life. You see, just because Jesus died on a cross, that didn't mean everybody gets to go to heaven. Just because Jesus shed his blood on the cross doesn't mean everybody gets to go to heaven. Yes, that blood is royal blood. Yes, that blood can cleanse anybody of their sin. It doesn't matter what that sin is. But how does that blood activate it in our lives? It's activated in our lives when we receive Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into our life and that's what brings the blood that cleanses us, you see. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not a part of God's family. It's it's, it's crystal clear. And yet, as I said, there's just a whole bunch of churches out there just teaching heresy. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens at the moment of salvation, okay? And it ensures your salvation. It makes your body God's home. It gives you the power you need to live out God's will. It gives you, you know, your spiritual gifts that you have today. And today, though, I want to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And though they sound alike, the filling and the indwelling... They're actually two different things, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to explain it to you in a way that you can understand, okay? So everybody look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is gonna give us a word here that, that is gonna help us understand the difference between the indwelling and the filling. Paul says, so be careful how you live. 
<laughs> That's good advice, isn't it? Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And how do we know what the Lord wants us to do? It's right here. This is the only way we know what the Lord would want us to do. It's right here. This is his will for, for our lives. And then he goes on and says, don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Boy, that's true, isn't it? I can't tell you how many guys that I've met who, you know, it ruined their marriage. It ruined their second marriage. It ruined their third marriage. I know guys that got drunk. It ruined their relationship with their children. I know guys that kept getting drunk and they lost their businesses. Well, that's a true statement. It'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled. Now, he's talking to indwelt believers. He's writing to a church here. Instead, you've got to be filled. So obviously, there has to be a difference between being indwelt and being filled because these are believers he's writing to. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourself and making uh, music to the Lord in your heart. Now, let me just lay a little foundation here, just, just for a second, okay? I want you to think about how valuable your time is, okay? Because I want to make this applicable to us. Think about how valuable your time is. Think about it. We, we have microwave ovens that zap our food, right? Think about that, because man, we just, we gotta get her done, okay? Uh, we hire people to come and mow our lawns. We hire people to come clean our homes. We, we, we drive through a building that cleans our car like in one minute, I do, prime shine. You know, we just, I don't got time, man, to hose it down and do all this stuff. Just drive in, one minute, I'm out. Unbelievable. We have garage door openers. Now, I only say brought that one up for you young people. Because some of you are going, what are you talking about? Garage doors always opened on their own. No, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. See, there was a time when my mom would drive up to the garage at our house. And then I had to get out. This took like 12 seconds. I mean, I burned 12 seconds. I how many, how much time was lost. I'd get out of the car. I had to walk over to the garage door. I literally had to walk over it, young people. And you turn the thing, and then you pull the door up, okay? You had to, I had to do it on my own. It took like 12 seconds. Think about all the calories I was burning. And I, whew, then I'd get back in the car and drive in. And then I had to go close it. And some of you are going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You gotta be kidding me. And then I remember my buddy down the road, his, his dad bought this electric garage door opener. And we were all down in his house. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> this is gonna change society. <laughs> you must be a billionaire to be able to afford an electric garage door. We just sit there for hours just hitting the button. We tried to close one on each other because that, that was before they had the little beam of light that went over. And so you'd always try to like close it on your buddy when he was running out the thing. It's unbelievable. Because who's got 12 seconds to burn? I, I, don't, I don't have 12 seconds. If my, and it happened once, my, I, my garage wouldn't open. And I spent 30 minutes outside doing this. 
And then finally, you know, I go inside and I actually had to figure out how to get the thing open and it was like ruined my whole week. It was crazy. <laughs> you know, we shop online, we go to fast food restaurants and then who's got time to open up a jar of peanut butter and jelly? We just put them together in one jar. Cause man, do you know how long it takes to open two jars? <laughs> Who wants to do that? Put it all in one jar and we're, we're golden. How do you, how do you value a, a year? Well, let me ask you. Go ask some student who fails a class. Wow. How, how, you know, what's the value of a month? Well, ask a, a mother whose baby arrives prematurely. Ooh. How do you value a week? Well, ask a sailor who was trapped at the bottom of the sea in a submarine, and I read a story this week about, about that. That was the longest week, you know. Could you imagine that? How about an hour? Ask someone who missed a connecting flight between their first flight that was delayed an hour. Hmm. How about a second? How do, you, how, do you, how do you value a second? Well, ask somebody who, who an Olympic swimmer who just missed qualifying by three one thousandths of a second. All of a sudden, that second was valuable because they didn't make the Olympics. Wow. Today, you can find all kinds of, of time management seminars. The world is consumed with time management. And, and on, on some plane, we ought to care about our time. But the Bible has kind of a different thought. The Bible uh, cares more about life management. How many of you have ever said, you know, I'm going to start praying more. I'm going I'm, I'm to start reading my Bible more. I'm going to start, you know, giving an offering to the, to the Lord here at Big Valley Grace. I'm going to start using my gifts, you know, and serve here at Big Valley Grace. You know, one of these days, I, I, I'm going to go on a missions trip. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. Hey, I, I'm going to spend more time with my kids. How many of you have said that? Hey, I, I'm going to go to the men's group on Monday night. Or I, I'm going to go early on Tuesday morning. How many of you have said that over and over again? I'm going to go to women's ministry and you just never show up. How many of you said, you know what? I'm going to go to CR because I got to get my anger under control. My anger is just crazy. It's ruining my life. It's ruining my family, ruining my testimony. How many of you said, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to do whatever, whatever it is. Paul said this. He said, so be careful how you live. Be careful. Don't live like fools. And I can tell you, I've lived like a fool, as a believer, as a pastor. Don't, don't live like a fool, but, but like those who are wise. You've got to be careful how you live. And man, I can't tell you how many times I've let my guard down or whatever, you know, just that advice right there, wow. Look, when you're not careful how you live and you, you live like a fool, you know, I'll tell you what, you're never going to make the most of every opportunity. You just won't do it. All of a sudden, life management gets out of control. I know it took me a long time to, to get here, but I entitled the message, How to Make Your One Life Count. The Filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what I entitled the message. 
Listen to what God, uh, the Word of God says. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, and this is, this is the foundation to this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of God's great love for us, because of God's rich mercy, he's the one who made us alive. And we're going to just hang there for a second. Christian, you were dead. You were dead because of your sin. You were a dead man walking, nothing but a zombie. You were doomed. No hope. Greatest thing you could ever experience was whatever this crummy life held for you. You, you were so dead, you couldn't comprehend what Jesus did on a cross. But God, who's full of love, full of mercy and grace, he's the one who drew you to himself He's the one who opened your eyes to truth. You were dead. And he's the one who made you alive. He's the one who did it. That's why we show up here every week, right? And we sing all these songs about God and we fellowship and we hip hip parade God and we throw a party and we hip hip parade him and we celebrate him. Why? Because we were dead. but he's the one who made us alive, you see? Then when you get to chapter four of Ephesians, the God who brought us back from the dead gives us a thought about our, our new lives. He says this in Ephesians one, or Ephesians four, verse one, I urge you, put your own name in there, I urge you, Rick, I urge you, Rick, because you were dead and I made you alive. Live a life that's worthy of the, the calling that you've received. You were dead, and I made you alive. Come on. Don't mess this life up. Don't goof around with this life. Remember, you were dead, and I made you alive. Come on, come on. In Ephesians Chapter four, he goes on to say this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you put your own name in there. Rick must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And that just simply means you, you can't live in sin anymore. You can't live in that crummy world anymore that you lived in. Remember, you were dead in that world and I brought you out of it because I love you and I care about you and I'm full of compassion and mercy. Don't, don't, Live like that anymore. Don't do that anymore. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Hey, you were dead, and I made you alive. So here's the deal. Would you imitate my son? Imitate him. That's what I want you to do. Ephesians 5 goes on to say, For you were once 
in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Live as children of life. Remember, you were dead. And God made you alive, and now God says, hey, for you were once darkness. You were in the darkness. You were darkness. But now the light of the Lord has come into you. Live as children of light. Quit living in that dark place. Quit living like you used to live. Remember, remember you were dead, and I made you alive. Come on. There's an urgency in all of these passages in fact, you could sum all these passages up with this thought. You only get one shot at life. Live it to God's glory and don't blow it on stupid, sinful stuff. That's my translation of it. You get one shot at it. God, God redeemed your life. He did it. You didn't do anything. You were dead. Dead people can't do anything. And he's the one who redeemed you. And you got one shot from here on out. Come on, let, let's, let's make our one life count for something. In other words, time is valuable. Use it wisely to take, me, take us all back to my little thing on time. In Ephesians 5, as I just read to you a little bit ago, he challenged us with three things. He says, hey, live carefully. Live carefully. Come on, live carefully, Christian. Live carefully. You're not going to be perfect, okay? But live carefully. Come on. Live, 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 live carefully. Live, live carefully, will you? Then he says, live according to, to, to God's will. And the only place you're going to find God's will is right here. This is it. That's why, that's why we do all the Bible studies. That's why everything we do around here is about this. You've got to live carefully. And living carefully means you're living in, according, in accordance with God's will. And then he says, live under the control of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. And I want you to know that's the key passage to understanding the filling of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And here's the deal. Let me cut to the chase. Whatever fills your life can control your life. If alcohol fills your life, then alcohol controls your life. And that's the illustration Paul uses here, but he could have used anything. You get enough alcohol in you, and guess what? You're no longer in control anymore. The alcohol is what's controlling you. But it could be pornography. If pornography fills your life, then I guarantee you that pornography is going to be the thing that controls your life. If food fills your life, then food's what's going to control your life. And I'm not talking about just eating the food that we need. Our bodies need caloric intake. If football or softball or baseball fills your life, then those things are going to control your life. And once again, look, I'm the baseball coach. I, 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 one of my players, uh, Tyler, is over there playing in the, in, the, in the band over in the venue. I'm not talking about you know, playing baseball or softball. I'm talking about when it consumes your life. If it consumes your life, then that's what's gonna control your life. I'll tell you what I see all the time, boyfriends and girlfriends, they fill a young person's life and then that's what begins to control them. For a lot of young people, you know what it is? It's like a video game like Fortnite or something like that. All of a sudden, that's what fills their life. And they're in their room, they're playing the game, and guess what? That begins to control their life. They can be an indwelt believer. 
but they're no longer filled with the Holy Spirit because the game is the thing that's controlling their life or the pornography is the thing that's controlling their life or the alcohol is the thing that's controlling their life or the boyfriend or the girlfriend's the thing that's controlling their life. I'll tell you what, for a lot of, you know, I, yeah, I keep preaching the thing about Fortnite. That's what a lot of your parents are thinking. Well, let me tell you what will happen to a lot of parents. Your careers begin to fill your life. And so guess what? Your career is the thing that, that you know, guides your life. And so you go in and tell your son, hey son, you're playing too much Fortnite. And your son wants to say, oh really? I haven't seen you around in a while because you've been working all, all the time. You're always gone, always gone, always gone, always gone, always gone. And you're in here telling me about Fortnite? And that wasn't meant to poke anybody in the eye. I'm just trying to give you some illustrations here of whatever fills your life is what's gonna control your life. If money fills your life, then money's gonna control your life. So let me give you, as I land the plane here, uh, three keys to being filled. I heard this story, <laughs> this old church, and uh, every Sunday they had an altar call, you know, and every Sunday this older gal would get up and she'd walk down the aisle and she'd say, oh God, fill me, God, please fill me, God, fill me, God, fill, fill me, God. Every Sunday this went on for like six, seven months, the lady would walk, oh God, please fill me, please, you know, fill me, God, please fill me. And finally there was this guy sitting back in the corner, this old guy, he couldn't take it anymore. And she got up and said, fill me, God, oh God, fill me. And he stood up and said, she leaks, God. <laughs> And here's the deal, we do, we leak. You can't go through the day or through the week and not leak. Now, you never run out of the Spirit. You're always indwelt with the Spirit, but boy, we can leak. And, and I'm gonna give you three things real quick. You do these three things, I guarantee you, your life will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first one's a no-brainer. You gotta fill your, your mind with, with, with the Word of God. It was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter four, Hey, Christian, beloved, you don't live on bread alone. You need bread. These bodies, they, they, they only work if you put calories into them. You gotta have some bread. But here's the deal. <laughs> For you, it's on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is everything that God wanted us to know. Is this everything that's ever been said or done by God? No, but this is what he wanted you to know. It's right here. Paul said in, in, uh, in, in Colossians chapter three, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And you, you fill your mind with the word of God. You keep the word of God you know, in the forefront of your life, you have a little study in the morning by yourself or at lunch or dinner or whatever it is. You come to church, you come to men, you come to women, whatever it all is, whatever those things are, wow, I'm gonna tell you something, it'll make a difference in your life. There's no way that this can sit on the shelf and gather up dust and you, you know, saying I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. They just can't go together. Uh, n number two, you got to have a funeral. What does that mean? Huh? Romans chapter six says this. 
For we know that our old self, that's the old nature, was crucified with him. Some of you don't know that. You haven't had a funeral. For we know that our old self, our sinful nature, was crucified with him, that's Jesus, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Here's the deal. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, your old nature died on that cross with him. He died. Your old nature died on that cross. And some of you don't recognize that and realize that because you never had a funeral. You'd keep lugging around this dead body. No, have a funeral. Wake up in the morning, get your mind into the word of God and say, you know what? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and taking my earthly, sin-filled, Adamic nature with you on that thing. You're not the same person that you were before you surrendered your life over to Christ. You have a, a new life, a new hope, a new heart, a new strength, a new citizenship, a, a new purpose. You got a, you got a new perspective. Paul said in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. And he's talking about his old nature there, your Adamic nature. And I no longer live. I is dead. But beloved, you're, you're dead. You need to see yourself as dead. You need to have a funeral. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul, once again, is telling us, hey, look, you, your old nature's dead. It died on the cross. And the reason why it keeps raising its ugly head is because you forget it's dead. Have a funeral. And number three, you've got to give your body to God. You've got to give your body to God. Romans, the word of God says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin, as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Here's the deal. God says, hey, 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 hey would you give me your, your hands? Offer them to me. Hey, hey, I want you to give, give, give me your legs. Will you do that? And some of you are going, oh, come on, pastor. That's, that's corny. That's kind of ridiculous. That's juvenile. Really? Maybe if you gave your legs to God, they wouldn't walk you in to the bars. You're, maybe if you said, God, my legs are yours. I'm giving them to you. You say in your word, I'm to offer parts of my body to you. My legs are yours. And now you're making your way to the glow worm. And guess what? For whatever reason, your legs just won't cooperate. Because you made a commitment. You gave your, your legs to the Lord. And so you say, God, I gave these things to you. I'm not going to let them take me somewhere that's evil or wicked or sinful or whatever. I'm not going to let them take me to, you know, the place where I'm going to flirt with a girl that's not my wife. I'm not going to let them take me to a place where I can get drunk. I'm not going to let them take me to whatever place may be. You see? Hey, God, these hands are yours. You, 
You know, I, I, for whatever reason, I get angry and I punch and I slap and I hit. And I want to give them to you. I don't want them doing that kind of stuff anymore. God, these eyeballs are yours. Giving them to you. They're yours. I don't want to look at that porn anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. Let me tell you something. If you do these three things, you fill your mind with God's word, you have a funeral for your old nature, and you're giving your body parts to the Lord, you're offering to him, hey God, here, here, it may be old, and it's full of, you know, anti-inflammatories, <laughs> you know, and his body's full of all kinds of stuff now that I'm getting older, but I'm giving it to you. Man, buckle your seatbelt, Christian. Because not only will you be indwelt in with the Holy Spirit, that's a done deal, but now you'll be filled. And now the power of God will be in your life. And who knows what God might do with your one life when you're filled with the Spirit. Okay, everybody over in the venue stand, everybody in here stand. Father, thank you, Lord, for today, last night. I thank you for all these names that are at the cross, literally hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand names up here, I don't know, Lord. And we're just believing that somehow, some way, God, this place would be filled on Easter. And as we as believers celebrate this marvelous moment of the resurrection, that there'd be many who would give their life to you. Lord, thank you for the indwelling and the filling of the Spirit. Bless us today, and I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Blessings.